one Simon who is called Peter, he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He must have been really hungry. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had, he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say in verse 23. And so he invited them in to be his guests. The grass withers and the flowers fade. You may be seated. Come Holy Spirit. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says in verse 3, chapter 3, one of my favorite quotes from Solomon, some call the wisest man on earth outside of Jesus himself. And Solomon said that for everything, he says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Solomon says, hey, God works in times and seasons, even though he lives outside of time. And so when you were born, it was not an accident to the Lord. He said, oh, you're here. No, it didn't work like that. 
God picked your birthday as well as your death day. Now, we don't celebrate death days. We don't bring money to the funeral. Here, put money on the funeral. If we put it in there, most people would take it out of it anyway, so that's a good thing we do it. But Solomon says there's a season for everything. And my only slide and my first slide, here it is, is um, from Galatians here, amplified version, talking about this time, the timing. Paul says, but when in God's plan, God's timing, the proper time, Paul says, had fully come, God waited for the proper time had fully come, God sent his son. We have lots of little babies around here. One day, Jesus was a little baby. It's hard for us to capture that sometimes. We're about to go into the Advent season. Jesus was a little baby just like you were. And he was walking around. I don't know if Mary spanked him on his, you know, Jesus stopped running around like some of our kids do. He probably was running around like everything else in the synagogue. Probably wanted to play soccer if they would have had it back in those days. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the regulations of the law. Verse 5, so that he might redeem and liberate those who were under the law, that we who believe Christians might be adopted as sons and daughters, as God's children with all rights as fully grown members of a family. Jesus, at the right time, came into this world. Most of you know, some of you might not know, that I'm on the National Board of Lifeline, Children's Services. And our main job is taking in vulnerable children all over the world, all over America, vulnerable children, for whatever the reasons, giving up, thrown away. Some do it through a process. And taking those children and placing them in loving, gospel-filled families. A plug for Lifeline. If you ever want to consider adopting, get at me. I connect you to those at Lifeline. And I think that's one of the things that Christians do. We adopt. We take in children. That's what you see in the beginning of the church. I talked about that last week. It's Christians who have gone into the world and have taken in the children, not pagans, not unbelievers. It has always been the Christians. That is what we do. That is what true religion is. It's taking care of the orphans and the widows in this world. But the ministry of adoption um, is not a quick situation by any means. It's an intensive, extensive, and expensive process. Lots and lots of legal work and paperwork goes into adopting a child. The timing of it is everything. International adoption requires traveling to a country of origin, staying for a period of time, and seeing the process to completion. You hear that all the time. Someone wants to adopt a kid from China. They have to go to China, live there for a while, and see the whole process through. But guess what? Who came to this world? He had to come a long way in order to adopt you. Jesus the Christ. He stayed a little while. God's timing is perfect because he waited hundreds of years after Adam and 
from sin in the garden, before sending his son into the world. And then the Bible says that at the right time, at the proper time, the main actor in the plan of redemption was born of a virgin and started his public ministry at 30 years of age. And at 33 years of age, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He, was, he, was, he died. And he was buried. And then he descended into hell. And then, as the old pastor would say, early Sunday morning, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And then presented himself alive after he arose from the grave. He presented himself alive to his apostles in whom he had called for that office with many convincing proofs over a period of how many days? 40 days. Speaking to them about the kingdom of God. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, it says, And while stand with them, the apostles, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, from John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Referring to the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon everyone that was in the upper room. And then in verse 6 he says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were always thinking about Israel. Jesus had his mind on something much bigger than Israel. But they were only thinking about Israel, the Jewish people. They were ethnocentric. Only us, Lord. <laughs> Got that kind of going on in the news right now about the Jewish people. I'm going to be quiet because somebody, this might go online. Who knows? Might cut me off, so I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to move on. But Jesus was more focusing on everyone. And he said to them, while they're asking about Israel, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, verse 9, and as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up. Chris Shane is not the only one who rises up. Jesus was the first one to do it. Standing out there by a mountain, and disciples were looking up at him, hand, holes in his hand, and Jesus, I mean, could you imagine that sight? I mean, this is a real story. Sometimes I think when we were reading the Bible, we were just like, I don't know. No, this is really happening. They saw him die. They saw Pontius Pilate kill him and all the Jews, and now Jesus standing there with holes in his hands, and he's being lifted up. And they're looking at him like this, whoa, God-man in human flesh. That's the one that has called me, you. That's the one who saved us. He's really real. He's not a figure of our imagination. Jesus Christ is really real. And right now, he's sitting on the throne, and he's taking notes of me and everything I'm saying. And he's either, I like that, or he's going, no, no, don't say that. <laughs> he's either doing one or the other. I hope he's going, help me out, Jesus. I don't want to say anything you don't want me to say. Man, that keeps me humble. 
that Jesus is taking notes. He's not getting blind. He's like, let me put my glasses on. He don't have to have no glasses on. He has fully sight to see everything and hear everything. While he was looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, verse 11, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Where Jesus now sits to the right hand of God the Father. I love this quote. This is a sermon all by itself. One day I will preach this sermon. Here's what I'm about to say. Where Jesus now sits to the right hand of the God the Father playing chess while the whole world in the kingdom of Satan is playing checkers. <laughs> Man, I had to preach all by itself. Jesus playing chess while the government of this world is playing checkers. You know how chess works if you've ever played it. It's a thinking game. It's a mind game. Checkers is just emotions only. It's like football. You ain't really got to think about it. You just do it. But chess, you got to think. God is a thinker. And he thought out his plan of eternity. Jesus didn't just come at any time. He came at the right time. God playing chess. But the people of this world playing checkers, they don't understand that. Jesus, I'm 10 steps ahead of you, man. In fact, I'm an eternity ahead of you. I already got myself crowned king of glory. <laughs> and you still trying to figure out how to stop me. Jesus said, you better go learn how to play chess. And so Dr. Luke, this last week, he told us in this chess game that Apostle Peter, as we alluded on last week, he's called to ministry mostly to the Jews. But we see in last week, verse 43 of Acts chapter 9, we see Peter, as Luke is writing this to us, we see Peter this apostle who's Jewish, he's residing in Joppa with a man named Simon the Tanner. And you say, wow, why did Luke just add that Simon the Tanner in there? Jewish guy, Simon the Tanner. Whew, those are two different kinds of people. That'd be like, um, um, never mind, I ain't going to even say that. So Jesus said, don't even say that this time, so I'm going to stop you. So, so Simon the Tanner. But according to the rabbinic dietary laws of the Old Testament, which you can read, I wanted to put them up on the board, but it doesn't take too long. But you go there and read it yourself. Go to Leviticus chapter 11, and you will see these dietary laws that Moses, through God, gave them to the people about um, who to hang out with and who not to hang out with. And so Jewish people were prohibited to be around dead animals of any kind. And their carcasses, especially someone whose occupation, which is Simon Tanner is, who was working with dead animals in order to make clothing out of them, like leather. See, if you got on leather shoes, we used back in the day in the black church, I don't know if we still wear, I had, I had got rid of all my gator. I used to have a lot of gator shoes. So back in the black church, man, you come in, there's a three-piece cuff link, whoop, 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 and you had them gators on. If you had them gators on, and you had them crocodiles on, you wasn't, you wasn't lit. As they say. So I don't wear that stuff no more, but I had a bunch of gators. 
Where do you think a gator come, gator's shoes come from? It comes from a gator. <laughs> a crocodile. Not leather, but leather. <laughs> and so that's what Simon, he made leather shoes throughout all Israel. He said, hey, you want the real shoes? Come to me. Simon the Tanner. <laughs> but we see here in the text that I'm about to speak about today. But now is the time for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. To go beyond the Jewish ethnicity but to people who were considered to be unclean, uncircumcised, people who were separated from Christ. They were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and did not know anything about the covenant promises of God. They were living in a world without God and without hope. Who are those people? The Gentiles, like you and I here today. As far as I know, I know something about flocks of God has assembled here. I don't think there were any ethnic, ethnic Jewish people in my midst that I know of. Some of you may have some of that in your bloodline. I don't know for sure. So therefore, most of us would be Gentiles. You didn't grow up keeping a Torah, not working on Saturday. Some of y'all love to work on Saturday. So if you was a Jew, you wouldn't be working on Saturday. And you sure would not be eating any and all that Alabama pork that you love to eat. See, you don't, I'm gonna make I'm gonna land the plane on that. So sometimes we're reading the Bible. So we're all Gentiles here today. We'll make that very clear how we know that we're Gentiles. But God, in His masterful self as a shepherd, He knows how to lead His servants to His lost sheep. And so here in the text, verse ten, verse one, chapter ten. The word of God says that in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion, meaning a leader of maybe over 100 people, 600 people, kind of like a, you know, a little captain or something. And so, and he was known as the Italian cohort. And Luke describes Cornelius as a devout man, one who feared God, which means that he was a follower of Yahweh the God of the Jews, and that somewhere in his life he had come to reject all of the many gods of the Romans. The Romans had all kind of gods. They had a god for sun, a god for the moon, god for the wind, god for just um, sex, god for crops. I mean, they had so many gods, you would just be confused trying to keep up with all the gods. And Cornelius would say, enough of that nonsense. I want a one god, monolithic god, monotheistic god. One God. So he had come to embrace the God of the Jews, the concept of Judaism. And Dr. Luke says in verse 3, and it says in about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, now I'm making a turn. Angel comes to him. Put it in my text. This is an important statement as it relates to what happens before the gospel goes to the Gentiles. I love God's chess plan. The Greek word here for vision is the word harama. It means an event, 
in which something appears vividly and credibly to the mind. I mean, Cornelius was there, he sees this vision, and it's, it's vivid. This vision word means something that credibly comes to the mind, although not actually present, but implying the influence of some divine or supernatural power or agency. So Cornelius said, this is a strong vision. I love this by one of my favorite um, writers and preachers of the time before he kind of went left, but Dr. Miles Monroe. Dr. Miles Monroe says about vision, he says, sight is a function of the eyes, but vision from God is a function of the heart. Your eyes see, but vision is something God puts in your heart that you just know this is from God. I'm going to come back to that. Proverbs 29:18, as referring to vision, he says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people, human beings, they cast off restraint, Solomon says, in Proverbs 29, 18. Visions are important. And Cornelius is experiencing one. But Solomon says that where there is no vision, people don't not, can't see where to go, what to do, they cast off restraint. And so what Solomon is trying to say here that when the word of God is neglected and rejected, which provides visions for our lives. You can always tell when someone is walking with God. Watch what they do and what they don't do. Because vision pulls you out of Egypt. It pulls you into this thing that life is a vapor. It pulls you out to understand that your time, you have a limited amount of time to run the race that God has marked out for you. Vision does that. But when you reject vision, people run wild. That's what Solomon says. They run wild. They just live any kind of way. Their lives will end up in ruins. And they stay trapped in the bondage of Egypt. That's what we're trying to do in Fairfield. We're trying to get folks out of Egypt. We're trying to implant vision in their lives. Through the word of God. But when people don't have vision, you see them trapped state of chaos, which we call Egypt. You can always tell the communities that are lacking visions from God. You can always tell. How? How do you know? There's always a sense of hopelessness, a lack of unity within that community, a lack of direction and working together for the common good. You can see that when you just look at communities like the church, they're always arguing with each other, can't never get anything together and work as a team and just a sense of hopelessness and despair. But when vision is there, hope comes. Direction comes. People get on a team. That's why we need leaders with vision. And so here when God comes, when God goes about in this broken world that we all live in, when God goes about accomplishing his kingdom purposes on the earth. When God goes about accomplishing anything on this earth, 
his kingdom purposes on this earth, his kingdom plan, his kingdom mission in this world, whereby he redeems people out of the kingdom of Egypt. What does he do? He will always first implant a vision into the heart of a human being. Nor you're going to build me a ship. That's called vision. David, you're going to be king of Israel. Solomon, you're going to build me a temple. Anytime God wants to do something, he always implants a vision from his kingdom into the heart of a human being. He plants a vision of heart of a human being that brings about his kingdom purposes. This God who is the general who's playing chess while the world's playing checkers. What we see here in the text that it's time for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, therefore into the Gentile nations. So God comes and gives a vision into a Gentile man named Cornelius that is so vivid to his mind, that is so compelling in which he gives him the specific details about the person that he needs to meet and where he is residing. I mean, God is bad. I mean, he said, look, I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to tell you where he lives. And, you know, Peter, Peter he'll choose and say, man, I want to live by the ocean. <laughs> so he said, I'm going to choose Simon the Tanner because he's living by the sea. You know, we love that water. <laughs> Folks go to, go to the beach all the time, man. That's what me and Shanta were. But it was colder than Methuselah down there. I said, man, we stayed in that, in that room. I said, man, I want to go out there, but it was cold. But we see God here with Cornelius um, telling him specific details about Peter. That he needs to meet this man and where he's living. And in verse 5 said, now, as he received the vision, he's obeying God. Always be obedient. He said, now send men to Joppa. And bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with the Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And immediately, verse 7, we see Cornelius' obedience. And let me make a statement here before I go into my next part. True visions from God are always connected to other people in whom God has given the same vision. I'll make sense to you when I get towards the end of this. True visions from God are always connected to other people in whom God has given the same vision. So here we see in verse 9, it says, The next day, as they were on their journey in approaching the city, Cornelius' guys, Peter, went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Six hours is noontime. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while there he was, while, there, while they were preparing it, Peter must have been so hungry, the word of God says, he fell into a trance and saw heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. 
Now we know now God is preparing Peter. He's got him living with Simon the Tanner, this Jewish, I mean this Gentile who works with dead animals. So Peter is already breaking all the dietary laws by even living with the guy. And so God is preparing him. Remember, God's playing chess. <laughs> he had to prepare Peter for what he's about to show him. And now Peter's there. I don't know what Simon the Tanner is feeding him. Maybe Peter is just only eating Jewish food at this point. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But we do know that he's residing and living with Simon the Tanner. And he's already breaking the, the rabbinic law, according to Moses, not to be around such a person. But here we see God's about to shake his world up even more. In verse 12, Peter sees the sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles. Stop. Just the reptiles alone. <laughs> Peter seeing that sheep with all the animals. You know pigs was on that sheep. Some of y'all eat bacon and sausage every single day. It's your favorite food. Peter seeing that pig, reptiles, I've never been to China. Hopefully, in God's providence, you know, and I know they eat a lot of kinds of reptiles. Snakes, lizards, geckos, and all the rest. <laughs> reptiles and birds of the air, vultures, eagles. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Now Peter said, hey, now, now Peter, now he's Jewish. He's grown up his whole life reading Leviticus chapter 11. Not to eat pig, lizards, and all these animals. And now here God saying to him, Peter, rise and eat. Look at Peter's response. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. Okay, God, it's enough that I'm living with a Gentile guy. Now you want me to do what? Eat this pork. <laughs> and Peter said, by no means, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I give myself away, but this is where it stops. <laughs> I got to change up the song. DJ, change up the uh, notes on this song. I give myself away until this. <laughs> I'm not about to become all things to all people in order that they might be saved. God, I read that. I can't do that. He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And Peter's like, I'm going to come back to verse 17. This has got Peter like, remember, God's playing chess. He's got him living with Simon the Tanner. And now God is telling him, it's okay, Peter, to eat whatever I have made and created. Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. I'm changing it up. I know what I told the Jews not to eat. 
But right now, that's not a moral thing. That's a dietary thing. You can eat whatever. So God says, and Peter's like, Lord, but I've been raised up day one from my little child never to even look at a pig. Now you want me to eat that stuff? See, y'all, you want me to eat some chili? Come on, Jesus. I grew up on a farm. I saw how chitlins look when it comes out of the pig. And I know you had to get miles and miles away from those chitlins when they come out of that pig. And God told me, now eat that God. I love you and I give myself away, but I'm not eating that. You can invite me over. And said, Pastor Harvey, I know how to make some good chitlins. I said, I love you and Jesus. But the chitlins <laughs> that comes out of a pig's belly, his intestines, I'm making a pass on that. That's what Peter said. Lord, come on, you can't do that to me. I've been raised up not to even look at an oxtail. Now you want me to eat it? Yes, with the potatoes in it in that way as well. <laughs> Peter's like, <laughs> this Jesus, walking with Jesus, man, woo! Verse 17, now Peter was inwardly perplexed. He's like, God, I can't get my head around this. As to what the vision that he had seen might be. (laughs) Some visions from God are just so, goes against all of what we know. We have to sit with it. So he's perplexed. He's like, man, I don't know what to do with this. God told me just eat everything that I've been told by my grandma and my dad and everybody else in my culture not to touch that either. He just told me it was clean. A lizard, snake heads, Gentiles were eating everything, just like we do today. And Peter said, God, that's strong. So he's angry, he's perplexed at what the vision that he had seen might mean. And the word of God said, Behold, the beings who were sent by Cabilius, having made an inquiry to Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Remember I said, when God gives visions from God, they're always connected to other people who have the same vision. So we know down in Caesarea, God who's playing chess is, has given a man a vision. Peter just had a vision. So God is now about to connect the visions together. Because he's about to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's using human beings to do it. So verse 18 says, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, he's like, man, I just saw a smoking board or something that's worse, vultures, eagles, bald eagles, all these animals, birds of the air that I'm told not to touch and be around. And Jesus just told me three times, rise, kill, and eat. So you should see why he's pondering. He's perplexed. This doesn't make sense to Peter. But here comes God through another person who's given a vision. And then it says, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. This is Jesus. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to them and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for you com- for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send you for you to come to his house, to Cornelius' house, and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Peter was perplexed in the herb inn, sent by Cornelius, to say to Peter, you know, Jesus and God is not crazy, Peter. I'm at work. I am about to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this centurion Italian Gentile, who's a God-fearing man, I'm about to save him. And God says, well, I keep telling you, God always saves people to the government they never allowed to be in their hands. He could just save Cornelius by himself. But God always uses us in the process. And next week, Peter goes and shares the good news of Jesus to all of the Gentiles that are in the cohort of, of, of Cornelius. Peter's vision was perplexing to him. But God assures him that he's in the vision. And he's already touched another guy named Cornelius. But Peter has what he's looking for. And God's going to get the glory. He's going to get the honor because he's now here. What we know in the chronological of the book of Acts, the gospel is about to go outside of the Jewish ethnic people group and now make its way to the Gentiles, which has now made its way to us. God's playing chess while the world's playing checkers. In here, just on a little bragging for the glory of the Lord. Urban Host Vision, given to me over 23 years ago. The time, God told me, for a gospel church to be planted in the urban poor communities. God's timing, not my timing. God's timing. An urban church to be planted in the urban poor communities that would hold to the biblical orthodox of the gospel. Not a social justice gospel, not a woke gospel, not a victimhood gospel, but a gospel that frees people up in Egypt. God birthed that in my heart. And that God told me in the vision that this vision would include young people. Look around. He said it would include people in their 20s. I said, God, why that 20s? Think you know the answer. Having been victimhood so much in Egypt that you won't even when you're hearing the gospel, you don't believe the gospel. So God says it's going to be young people. And this is why I knew it was a vision from God because all around me is young people in their 20s. God also told me in the vision that it would be supported by theological conservative Christians. He says, don't worry, I'm going to bring people around you who are conservative Christians, meaning they hold to the word of God. Not talking about the political thing. They believe the word of God. And guess where most and all of our support comes from? 99.9999999 conservative people. God told me that it would be a church planting movement. Our mission as a church means we exist as a missional community 
devoted to growing disciples of Jesus who are confident of their true identity in Christ and therefore are agents of hope in Fairfield, Alabama, and beyond. God says, put that there because it will be a church planting movement. Guess what? That is exactly what's about to happen. A vision. God said, within that vision, Alton, it will be a manifold wisdom of God movement. What do you mean what that would be, Lord? Meaning that the poor in these urban communities would be discipled to take on kingdom identity and leadership in their communities. That our communities will be restored in the institution of the family. And that man will be held highly in esteem and honor. While we preach on marriage and family. That God said, in this movement, I'm going to restore families. There will be lots of marriages. Men will become men again. Take on their rightful position as men in their homes and in their families and in the church. God says, in that movement, there will be entrepreneurship, commerce. People are asking me, why a grocery store? Why a coffee shop? Because God said it. That's why. He said, if you're going to go in the urban poor community, I will do this. Not you. So entrepreneurship, commerce, housing development, and all of these things are happening. He said, they will be unleashed. That this would include and incorporate all of God's people from both the urban poor, the black, the white, and all those who are in between. Jesus said, it will display not your glory, Alton, my glory and my power, that I'm the one that unifies, I'm the one that brings together, I am the one that makes them one, and this will bring glory to his name among all the people in the earth. That vision that became so vivid and visual to me over 20 years ago, I couldn't shake it. You're seeing the result of it. That's why vision is important. How did I know? My friend Greg Nixon over there, when I met him, I said, oh, God said, he's one of them. I said, he believed the Bible. And he was saying the same thing I was saying, just coming at it from a different perspective. I said, this is why I met him eight and a half, nine, ten years ago. I was here six months. I met Greg Nixon. I was in his office. And I came home in that day. I came home and said, I met the lawyer guy. And the Lord said, he's a part of it. <laughs> and he's at the helm of it. And he says, I've been praying for a guy like you. <laughs> and who was, on, who was in all of that? God playing chess. While the world is playing checkers. And that's how it happens. And God said, there's times that the gospel will go to the Gentiles. So I'm going to give Cornelius a vision. And I'm going to give Peter one. Now, Peter was had the biggest thing to overcome because he'd been taught not to like Jews, Gentiles. Cornelius just wanted to get right with Jesus. But Peter seen all that stuff on that thing. He said, I got to start eating that. I got to overcome that. That's what I keep saying, guys. It takes God a while to help us overcome some of these long-term um, prejudice. We've been
he was a Jew. Jesus told him it was okay to eat pork and sausage from heaven. Because we laugh at it now because we eat it, we don't even think about it. This has become a big issue in the church. The Gentiles have to start just eating all the stuff that the Jewish people eat. And I thank God that Paul and Peter them fought. No, man, let Alfred Hardy eat his ribs. I like Jewish food, but man, I'm telling you, I love ribs. <laughs> I love some swine. I'm not going to even lie to you. If God told me to stop eating swine, I would struggle right now. I don't even like Chick-fil-A chicken. And I eat anything. It might be a chicken all the time for breakfast. I don't really like it. I like sausage and egg and cheese. Give me swine, not chicken, for breakfast. So with that being said, let me close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that your gospel is about to go to a people that were far away from you. And we were laughing, but Lord, help us to understand how it's important for us to really hold true to the visions that you put in our hearts. Because in those visions, Lord God, people, uh, you have set up for people to be saved by them. You birthed this church that we're sitting in that would reach people in an indigenous community where people are not really hearing the truth of the gospel. They're hearing all kinds of other stuff. And Lord, you know that this vision has not come overnight. There's been a lot of sacrifices along the way. And there are always sacrifices, Lord, when we are called to walk with you. As you call us away from what we know, our comforts, so that we will become all things to all people so that some might be saved. Lord, that's difficult for us to live and to do. But Lord, we want to be a church because I know in this church there's going to be church plants. And many of us, some of us are going to be called to go with those church plants here in Birmingham. And Lord, we're going to want to put up resistance to it. They're going to say, why should somebody else go? And you're going to be saying, I'm calling you to go. So Lord, I pray you begin to prepare our hearts to be people where we actually sing the song, we give ourselves away, but we actually live the song. We don't just sing it, we live it. And so, Lord, I ask, be with us now by your presence and your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. Please stand on your feet. As Brother Chad comes to. Just a couple of reminders uh, again. We have one more week to fill out the nomination forms for Deacon. I'll take those by email, by text, by uh, physical copy. But you got a, a week to fill it out. I've got about 10 in, so um, I look forward to seeing those. Um, in, a, in addition to that, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Um, we'll have a couple members of our prayer team to my left, to your right. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to intercede on your behalf. That being said, receive now the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
saw a big shooting that happened in Colorado, man. You see that? 